how, how can I know I'm saved? Do you ever ponder that? I mean, maybe we just take it for granted. But how can I be assured? Uh, what are the tenets of assurance, the pillars, that, that will help me find stability in my faith? I think one of the things we struggle with most as Christians is this term assurance, isn't it? You know, am I really saved? Uh, am I going to make it? You know, what if I don't make it all the way? Or what if I'm not real? Uh, that, that good questions to be facing. Uh, and the Bible addresses them, and it's what we're going to look at together. Paul addresses it to this fledgling church in Philippi. How they, newcomers to the faith, to a Jewish faith, how they can have assurance of their conversion, their faith, and their journey to heaven. So what we're looking at. So our heading is this. We're at the end of chapter 1. We're starting chapter 2 in a couple of weeks, finally. So we're going to finish the chapter today just looking at these few verses. And our heading is the signs of salvation. The signs of salvation. Uh, let me start at 28, the Graham read for us there. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, talking about the unconverted, but that you will be saved, and that by God. So Paul's going to give us, it, it does trace a little back to what he's already said, but the, the trajectory is generally forward. He's going to give us marks of salvation. That, and I want you to notice, and right at the beginning here, that it's God who's doing the saving those will be saved, and that by God. The first thing about assurance that we need to know is that our assurance, our salvation, is entirely in God's hand. The first thing you need to know, for us to have any assurance of our salvation, and it's going to trace right through that our salvation is in God's hand. So bear that in mind as we work through these verses together. Here's our key verse, 29. Okay, here's a key verse. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, speaking to the church, not only to believe on him. I'm going to just highlight those words there. For it has been granted to you to believe on him. Let me tell you a little bit about the Greek here. The Greek here for granted is a Greek word. I think it's going to come up on the screen for us, Ricky. Is that right? The next slide. There it is. Look, here's a Greek word. You've got a transliteration there. Charizome. Okay? That's the Greek word. Here's what it means. You may recognize the word. It comes from, we know it as charismatic. It's all in the same group of wording here. So it's, it's to do with grace. It's something that is given freely or something that is given graciously it's entirely free it's received it's not self-generated it's not earned or paid for it's received so we need to know this so here's paul's point that we are freely graciously given what in the text what did you say emma Yes, but the word I'm looking for is underlined. We're freely given. What are we given? Belief. Thank you. Belief. 
He said, I want the lining for you. <laughs> okay? So we're freely given belief, or alternatively, the way we put it is we're freely given faith. Okay? So that's the point. So we are freely given the faith to believe. So let me read the words to you again. For as it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, that means it has been given to you freely to believe. It has been given to you and I to believe, to have faith. So here's the point. So the question I want to ask is, what is the origin of my faith in Jesus? Again, it's not a trick question. It's, we just looked at it. What is the origin of my faith in Jesus? Or if I can put it like this, who, from what source does my faith in Jesus come? Yes, thank you, Pam. And it sounds such an obvious thing, but it's not. And I'm going to work this through with you now. Absolutely. Paul's point is this, that the origin and the source of my faith in Jesus, the faith that I exercise, when I say I believe, the origin and the source of that is God. He has given it to us freely. And the point is this, that the faith that I have in Jesus is not something that I've generated. Look, I can generate volume. Okay, I'm pretty good at that. So is my son Theo. He's even better at it than me. Okay, right, okay? But here's the thing, I cannot generate faith. Faith, says Paul, is something that is given to me. Here's what he says to the Ephesians on a very similar uh, uh, theme. For it is, it is by grace you've been saved, through faith, through your faith in Jesus. And where did that faith come from? In the text. Yes, it is not from where? It is not from you or from me. It is from God. God's grace in Christ Jesus to you and me is a deposit that he makes in our hearts and that deposit is faith. That faith enables me to say, I believe in Jesus. It enables me to do that. It does more than that. Here's what Jesus says in John 6. He goes, No one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Who's here has come to Jesus? What precipitated, according to the text, what precipitated, Catherine, your move towards Jesus? In the text. God. 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 Were you going to say that, Ben? In my case, and he can do something as incredible as that. As incredible as that. And that is the point here, is that, look, I moved towards God. I did. When I was 16, a couple of years ago. Okay? Well, what's a couple of years between friends? Okay? A couple of years ago, right? I moved <laughs> towards God. But that's because he drew me. And that's Jesus' point. He, he was doing something in me ever before I began. It's, it's in theological terms that, that God did something as an a priori 
reason. He did something that was before me. When I was in my sin, when I was desperate, when Montaz had no interest in Jesus. At that juncture, God drew me and you to Jesus. And the reason God had to draw us, because Paul tells Ephesians, Ephesians 2.1, as for you, this is why God has to do something as an a priori act, is that as for you, you were, Ephesians 2.1, dead in your sins, transgressions and sins. It, it means we're totally Inable, unable to move towards God. We were so wrapped up in our sin that we were the equivalent of being dead. Dead towards God, dead of any interest. And so what God, what Paul says, about going back to Philippians 1, it has been granted to you to believe what God did. He comes to us. He grants us faith. He graciously gives it to us when we're in that dead Displicable condition with no interest in Jesus, he arouses faith in us, he quickens us. Paul says elsewhere, he made us alive, and the Father draws us and points us to Jesus. That's how we came to him. Now, now that doesn't mean there was, a, there was no aspect in which I was participating in that. We're not suggesting that, of course, I went to Jesus. But what Paul is saying is the a priori reason for that is that God began something in you before you began to do something towards Jesus. That's the sequential events. In fact, Paul says he goes even beyond that. Let me take John first. John says, not only has God given you faith specifically, it includes you, even you, Lee, you specifically, right? He has commanded specifically your birth how many people are in this world seven billion of the seven billion people that exist in this world those who believe or will yet believe okay in Jesus have had their births specifically commanded into existence by God Here's what John says. It's a very important verse in the first chapter of John. To all who received him, so people like you and me, to those who believe in his name, people like you and me, he gave the right to become children of God. Hey, let me tell you, you're a child of God. Okay? But there's more. Children, these children of God, were not born of natural descent, nor were they born of the decision of a husband's will, but these children of God, you and I, were born... Under what command and instruction? God. Did you know that? That your birth, your birth was no accident. In fact, it wasn't even in, under the control of your parents. As much as they may believe that they were somehow behind your birth, obviously, naturally, there are sequential events. But the point here is, God specifically commanded and ordered your birth you were born because God specifically ordered you into existence Paul says a very similar thing himself in Ephesians 1 4 for he God 
chose us, you and I, in him, in Jesus, at what juncture? When I was born? At what juncture? Before, before I was born? Absolutely. Take, look how far back it goes. Can we have it please, Ricky? Next text. There it is. Look how far back it goes. For he chose us in Jesus, not just before I was in my, in my mum's womb, not just before my dad was born, but all the way back to before time. Here's, here's a thought. Before there was a speck of dust in the universe, before there was a universe, God knew you, loved you, and chose you to be a child of God, to be in faith, to be sitting, Lorraine, to be sitting there this morning before there was a speck of dust in our world. This is what Paul wants these church of Philippi to know. For it's been, it has been granted to you, graciously given, to believe on him. Christian, let me tell you this. There is nothing random about your life. Nothing random. You are deliberate. Purposeful. Okay? Designed. Commanded into existence. Your faith was no accident. It wasn't that you just were in a better place to comprehend Christian truths and come to faith. It wasn't that really. How dare I ever assume I somehow had something in me that enabled me above my family to believe but for the grace of God. The only reason I believe of all my family, of all my siblings, I'm the only one yet. It wasn't because there was something unique about Montez, because if you knew him, there is nothing unique or great about me. But it's because God ordered my birth. God gave me faith. God, and here's the thing, it goes way further, we don't even have a chance to look at this, he even gave us repentance. Hey look, when I was at school, a couple of years ago, Brenton, I said, remember, when I was at school, and... Um, <laughs> I, I, nobody ever wanted to pick me for football. <laughs> I was always the last kid. I think I've got a picture there, Ricky. Okay, that was me. Pick me, pick me. Okay, and they're going, do you, want, do you want him on your team? Nobody wanted me on the team. I was never picked. You only got me on your team by default because I was the last guy there. Okay, and that's the only way I got onto this football team. And if you saw me dribble, you saw me, did you see me with the ball earlier? Okay, that's why I'm not in the football team, right? Here's something I take great consolation in, and I want you to do that, friend. Do the same. God chose you. Not because you're the only people he could possibly convince, gullible enough to buy into him. No. And not because there was a shortage of people. And you were the last person. Oh, I've got to have you then, Emma. No. 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 God deliberately, willfully, knowingly, by choice, 
called you unto his team. Specifically you. Gave you faith to enable you to join the team. And gives you ongoing repentance so you can keep walking with him. Not because we're special. It's important to remember that. Here's what Paul tells the Corinthians. Not many of you are wise by human standards. Not many of you are influential. Not many of you are by no, born, born by noble birth. Talking about you, isn't it? Look, okay, talking about all of us. But God, and I want you to know, here's an English, please correct me, teachers are young, I'm to get this wrong. Okay, this is an English comprehensive exercise. I want you to pick out the key verb in these next two verses, the verb that occurs in both verses. It's a key verb, okay? Verse 27 and 28. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. What's the common verb between those two verses? Thank you. Uh, even the carpenter got it. Good on you, mate. Good on you. Yeah. Absolutely. God chose you to believe in him. Verse 30. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus. Why am I here? Look, why do I stand here on upside down on the wrong side of the planet? Because of God. Because of God. And because of God because of God says Paul it is because of God that you were in Christ Jesus the sign therefore when I get my assurance when we get our assurance that we're going to make it to heaven that our faith is real is that to have faith in God is an incredible incredible commodity if you believe, that's no accident. It's deliberate. Your faith is assurance. That is the point. The very fact that you believe is assurance. How can I be sure I believe in God? I mean, how can I really be sure I'm going to go to heaven? I do believe in Him, but how can I be sure you believe in Him? That's enough. That is it. Because you cannot generate faith. You cannot buy faith. You cannot manufacture faith. It's something that only God possesses. And it's something that if you have, He has given you. How can I know that God is my friend? I believe in Him. And this is a quintessential bit of Christianity that we somehow... It's so easy, it's so simple it seems, it's not easy, it's so simple it seems that, that, that we have to make it bigger. We can't believe, we can't for the life of us believe, can we, that that's all he requires. And it's what Jesus said, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, so that who, it's not on there, Ricky, so whosoever believes, Christian, that is it. Everything else is consequence of that. I want you to be encouraged. I want to let that warm your heart when you walk through this week. You may feel rubbish. 
Things may not go the way you want. The world may be on your shoulder. The future may be in despair. Who knows what's going to happen with COVID this week? We have no idea, do we? But because you believe, that is your mark of salvation. That is your assurance that you're in God. The first mark. The second mark. I'll be quicker than the second one. And the second one you're not going to want. And you're not going to like. We had uh, this famous British comedian in Britain had this phrase, you're going to like it, but not a lot. Yeah, have you heard that over here? Yeah, yeah. Who's, who said that? Yeah, somebody says it. And I'm old enough to know. <laughs> okay. You're going to like it, but not a lot. Believe me. You're not going to like this second thing at all. <laughs> not even a lot. Okay. But it's a part of your assurance. It's a part of the package. And it answers for us many of the things that are going on in our world and in our lives. The second one. For it has been granted to you graciously, freely given on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, that's part one, faith to believe in Jesus, but secondly... It has been granted to us, freely given to us, what? It's underlined, I think. Next one. Uh, yeah, that, that it is. What is it? It's, pardon? Suffer. You got it? Pam. The two marks of salvation, the poor one to Philippi, church to know. The first one is faith. The second one is, it has been freely given to you, graciously, that means it's a kind and good thing to suffer. Here's what Hansen writes. Suffering on behalf of Christ, just as much as believing in Christ, is a gift of God's grace. Paul says that. We've looked at the word already, haven't we? Charizomai, okay? Freely given. Here's the point. Suffering is something that God chooses to give to the faith community. Some gift, eh? Some gift. Which tells you straight away when things aren't great, Something's not wrong with your salvation. What do we do? We're terrible at it. We're terrible, terrible. Something goes wrong. My life isn't going the way I expected to. Oh, I must have done something wrong. And there are, there are people, God have mercy on them, who tell you exactly that. You, you didn't, I need a Bible. I didn't get that from the pages of the Bible. Okay? Suffering is a gift of God to his church. Paul says it. And this isn't, this isn't the only, this isn't, one, this isn't one of those obscure teachings that we have to try and balance up and find, find supported evidence. It's all over the New Testament. All over the New Testament, that God gives us suffering. Let me give you some of the some of the rationale to try and help us get our minds. Why would God choose me to suffer? Why would He choose that? Look, got a cross there, a lovely example in wood that Sid made for us. 
when a person outside of faith looks at the cross, what are they thinking? For someone who believes in the historicity of the cross, you know, what, what do they think of the cross when they look at it? What, what, what kind of terms come into their minds for someone outside of faith? Death. What a horror, torture, horrible sacrifice, pain, needless. That's what I thought when I was 15. I went, when, in my, when I went in my little way, was looking for God, only because he'd started something in me. I kept thinking, Why, you know, what a waste. Why doesn't he get off the cross? Get off. Don't die. They think it's a waste. Why all that pain? Why all that suffering? How terrible. Now, let me bring it to the believing community. You are the believing community. When we look at the cross of Jesus, what are you thinking? Sacrifice? Pardon? Selfless? Pardon? The rock of God? Salvation? And there's more. Love. Needful. Life. Purposeful, deliberate, necessary, kindness. Can you see how, how, how we look at the sufferings of Jesus in a completely different light to every other person out there? It's thanks to his suffering that we, we get the free gift of faith. And so we can look at Jesus' suffering and see in it God's wisdom. God's purpose. God's design. Paul says that. Not Paul. Not Paul uh, Acts Luke. Luke says that in, in, in Acts 2. To these people. Because you wanted to kill him. But it was by God's design. Can you see we see all that in, in Jesus' suffering? Because we've been given the sight to see the purpose of it. Now, it's in a very similar way that when we think of Christian suffering, we have to look at it through the perspective of faith, through the eyes of those who believe, knowing that we serve a God who is amply more wise than we are. Here's what Paul said to the Corinthians, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who have been saved, it is the power of God. And so it is with Christian suffering. We have to see it from the perspective of a God who has designed it. That is what the Bible says. That God has designed Christian suffering and who is behind it, who is involved in in it here's the rationale here's some of the rationale we did it last week i think philippians 121 paul says these words for to me to live is christ and to die is gain and we all look who here doesn't want that to be the anthem of their lives we all want that to be the insignia of our lives don't we oh for to me to live is christ i mean what a thing to be able to say do you know what do you know what that entails for to me to live is Christ. Someone tell me what Paul was saying by that. Because Paul elaborated, don't put it up here, Ricky, please. Paul elaborated in chapter 3. What did Paul mean when he says, Thank you, Sylvia? When he says, For to me to live is Christ, he meant, For to me to live is to go through and to experience everything. 
that Christ experienced. That's what he means. He wasn't just saying, oh, well, I'll have Jesus, you know, give him a good hug. You know, I'm sure we will give Jesus a great hug in heaven. He meant much more than that. He meant, for to me to live is Christ meant for me to live in the shoes of Jesus. And he told us that specifically, if you don't believe me. In chapter 3, we'll have the verse now. Here's what he says. I want to know Christ, for me to live is Christ. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and... And the share in his suffering. Now, Paul didn't want to share in Jesus' suffering because he was somehow. Uh, what's that term I'm looking for? What's the word? Yes, masochistic, okay? No! He wanted to share in Christ's suffering because he understood that to have Christ, to be in Christ, is to follow after him and to experience something of who he is in his sufferings. I want to share in that. I want something of that. Paul understood, and why he tells the church of Philippi, my time is up, Paul understood that the suffering and salvation are intersected or intersect in a complex matrix for the Christian. I say it's complex because here's the thing about God. He really is one of these beings who works on a need-to-know basis, which means he doesn't often tell me. He doesn't often explain himself. But let me, let me tell you this. Look, Lorraine and Jerry are sitting here. You've got kids. You've had kids. When your kids were growing up, you expected them to trust you when you took them somewhere. Now, no doubt, they want to know all the answers, but why, but why, and why? And what do you, what do you end up having to say eventually after 50,000 questions? Yeah, shut up! <laughs> Trust me, I've got it on my hand, I know what I'm doing. You expect them to trust your superior wisdom. God isn't always going to explain to me and you. The wise is not always going to sit down and map it out for us. <laughs> Thank you. He's expecting us on the basis that we've tr we can trust Him in so many visible things and so many expressions of His wisdom. He's expecting us to trust Him. That He's got this one in hand. That this one hasn't escaped his wisdom. That this one has a purpose like the last one. That he's doing something bigger than we can understand. Something tied up in our salvation. Something that makes sense. Something that's purposeful. Something that ultimately is good. Because it's a grace gift. It's a charismatic gift. In the sense that it's graciously, freely given to us. For it has been granted unto you on behalf of Christ to believe on him and to suffer for him. Paul can even say to the Thessalonians, we are destined for them. He says that word, it's a strong term, isn't it? We are destined for them. I'm going to close now with these two, with these two sentences. Hey, you are chosen by God. 
you've been chosen for faith. It's why you believe. And along with that, God gives us the grace gift of suffering to complete our salvation. There's nothing accidental about your life. God is over you, watching you, and walking you. And let me say one last word. I've finished now. I want to just leave you there. That suffering that God puts us through often finds its conclusion in life. Guess what I'm saying to you? It doesn't always last till the end. It's not always forever. Often God says, that is the close and end of that season. I've finished what I was doing with that. And here's the beginning of a new. He does that too, okay? Whatever you may be in, it doesn't mean that God is going to extend it to the end of your life. He remembers that we are frail. But dust, says the psalmist, doesn't he? And his grace gift of suffering knows ends, has boundaries. And then who knows? If there's something you're, you're thinking, boy, I, I can't do with this till I die. Maybe for you, God's reprieve and completion is round the corner. We have that hope. And let me leave you with that. Amen. Amen. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you for our salvation, for faith. And we accept, O oh God, on your wisdom the suffering. Complete what you're doing in us strengthen our faith complete what you're doing with us in suffering give us the grace to walk in it and in mercy remembering our frailty grant to each of us Lord the cessations of those traumas that we face bring us into new experiences we ask in Jesus' name Amen